0: There you go, a lot to think about, a lot to uh, engage in. Uh, we have been on a journey through the book of uh, Philippians. In fact, we're on to our fourth week. And uh, we've been looking at the whole subject of joy within the Christian faith, what robs us of the joy, what um, makes a difference in our lives, and, and how we can uh, move forward. And Paul, now, as we come to Philippians chapter 1, verse... Um, 27 through to 30. This is uh, where we're going to be sitting at this morning and and sharing, and and it is a. Um, uh, uh, it is really the moment where Paul starts to talk about the fight. We've had a great weekend here at Willow Park Church. We had encountered God uh, this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Um, so I think this is about my tenth speaking session this weekend. So I'm 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 all warmed up for you, okay? Uh, but we had eighty participants. Uh, it was an amazing time. I think about six people found salvation this weekend through the, um, the time. We always invite people to give their lives to Jesus because they may have attended church, but it doesn't mean that they have an assurance of the gospel within their lives. And certainly that was our experience this weekend. I met a very nice couple and, um, and I, I didn't kind of recognise them. And towards the end, I said to them... Um, uh, it's lovely to meet you. I said, uh, do you come to Willow Park Church? And that's always a dangerous question, because then they could say, well, yes, actually, Pastor, we've been here for 40 years. Um, and I'm like, oh, what, what a great pastor I am. So uh, I said, but I, I was pretty sure I didn't recognize them. They're quite striking, incredibly um they were very smart and lovely people. And I, I, said, um, I said, oh, I said." Uh, they said, no, we, we came in for Encounter God. I said, oh, right. They said, yes, we flew in. I said, you flew in to our church for Encounter God? She said, yes. She said, our marriage was completely falling to pieces and a wreck. And our counsellor mentioned Encounter God. We live in Edmonton. And then we were at Henry Shaw's church, Centre Street, and they were doing their Encounter God weekend uh, uh, in a week or so. But we couldn't attend that. So we went online. And it's what you do you go online. And she said, we found that Willow Park Church was doing it. So what did we do? We booked airline tickets, flew here because we wanted to see what the Lord would do in our lives. And they just started to weep and weep. And they said, you know what? We believe the power of Jesus has saved our marriage. Uh, Isn't that wonderful? Uh, That somebody... would take all of that effort to try and meet with Jesus because they were serious about dealing with the issues in their lives and and, and being able to do that. You know, that encourages me because it reminds me, as Paul is, is sharing, it reminds me about the power of the gospel at work in our lives. It is the power of the gospel to change hearts and to change lives and to make such a difference. And here in Philippians chapter Uh, 1 verse 27, uh, Paul is pointing out that our Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And sometimes we can forget that. We can forget that our Christian walk isn't about everything wonderful and perfect, but we're actually spiritually in a battleground in our lives. And then we're in the battleground. Let me tell you something. As we're in this battleground, uh, we need to be willing to hold our nerve. We've got to be willing to stand in the joy of the gospel and stand in his strength to hold our nerve, because what, what the apostle is talking about, he's talking about that, that actually we may feel afraid in the world that we live in. We may feel the pressure. And of course, in Philippi, which was a Roman city, a Roman colony, it was established because of, um, as a kind of a reward for great Roman legions, So that fought for, for, for the freedom of Rome and, and they'd established this, this mini Roman city that looked and felt like Rome itself. It was an outpost of Rome here in Greece and boy, uh, didn't they know it as the church. They were in the heart of Roman philosophy, Roman thinking, Roman approach to life. They were in the heart of that Roman experience. And so Paul is kind of saying, listen, hold hold your nerve here. And in our life, in our world that we live in, today the gospel has become incredibly, in some areas, unpopular. And God is calling the Canadian church and calling us as believers, and maybe you're a visitor here and you don't realise this, to hold our nerve and believe that God can move in power across Canada. To hold our nerve and believe as the church of Christ that the gospel is true, the gospel still works, and it changes lives. And are you willing to hold your nerve? I remember I was walking along with the twins. They were about uh, three or four years old. I was holding their hand. We were walking down the road together, and they were chatting away. It was so cute at that age. They're now 17 and a half. Hallelujah. And... (laughs) And we're walking along, still cute, but different, cute. I've got my shotgun. And so we walk along and and we're chatting away. And all of a sudden, a big dog runs towards us. And they're like, dad, dad, a dog. And I'm saying, be calm. When a dog runs towards you, stay calm. They're saying, okay. And the dog's barking. It comes right up to us. I said, you have to hold your nerve, look at the dog, and say, no. Are you ready? The so dog comes up. And they went, no. <laughs> They're all shaking. No. Hold it firm because you need courage. And you know, I think sometimes that's exactly where the church is at in Canada. We have to hold. Because there's a lot of it running at us. Whether it's the laws about euthanasia, whether it's a change in government policy, where suddenly uh, Christian orthodoxy and Christian belief now becomes outside of society. And it seemed that in our Christian faith, it seems like we are in a battle. And here is um, a, a kind of what I'd like to term as, as the Apostle Paul's John Wayne moment. You've got to love the Duke, haven't you? I mean, I mean, of course, I was uh, raised on John Wayne um, back then in, when I was a little boy. You know, John Wayne films were always on. There was only two channels on, on TV and there was always a John Wayne film. And he'd always, you know, be the guy at that moment. So think of Paul being John Wayne with a lot of Jesus here. Because he's saying, come on, this is the moment. This is what we have to do. and not frightened in anything by your opponents, those barking dogs. This is a clear sign of the theme of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So what is the Apostle talking about? He's talking about fight. He's talking about engaging. He's talking about hold your nerve. He's talking about, come on, Philippians. You're in the middle of the action here in society. You may feel small. You may feel insignificant. But I need you to to hold on. And he, these verses about something that we love at Willow Park Church, something that we love as a... Um, as a group of of churches in our fellowship, and I went down last weekend to Chilliwack to uh, our conference, and there I heard Luis Palau, the great South American evangelist, preach. And he was just telling us pastors to keep preaching the gospel, keep preaching the gospel, and teaching us how to give appeals so we can ask people to give their lives to Jesus. Not a problem that we have at Willow Park Church. A week doesn't go by when somebody does not give their lives to Jesus, connected to us or in our communities. But it's this idea that what he actually talks about is consistency. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent. 27a, in your verse, talks about this consistency, that as we are... People of the gospel. We are people that believe in the gospel. And You may not understand the gospel. The gospel's beautiful. The gospel is the idea of John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world. God loves the world. He loves every one of you this morning. He loves you no matter where you've come from and where you've been. God utterly and completely loves you. You are welcome here. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We have a debt and a price of sin in humanity that cannot be paid through our good works, our religious attendance, and through trying to work it out ourselves. It is a debt that cannot be paid to God, but God chose to pay that debt for our sin when Christ was nailed to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him on the cross. He went through the agony and the pain and the torment of taking all of humanity's grief. All of humanity's wrong. All of humanity's pain poured into his body as a vessel and experienced What it was to be left alone and isolated from the goodness of God and took on the very very judgment of God that should be for you and I. Christ took it on the cross and then died and gave up the ghost. But on the third day, Christ rose again, victorious over death, victorious over Satan and victorious over the power of sin in our lives. Amen? Well... That's the gospel, by the way. Uh, there's a, it, gospel continues to grow, but that's the core. Of course, we, we see the gospel of peace at work, the gospel of justice. But the gospel of salvation is what we are, uh, are so clearly passionate about, that, that you do not know God, but you can know God in your life. And so the apostle is saying, stand for the gospel, will you? Remember the joy of the gospel. Remember the joy of knowing the personal relationship with Christ in your life. Consistency. He's talking about you and I, our personal lives. What he's actually saying is this. He's saying, when people look at you, let your lips, as it were, match your lives. When he looks at you, let there be consistency. I remember Isabella, she's now 13, uh, she got into baking, she loves to bake, and, and the first time she started baking, she, I said, you got to get sugar, and, and Michelle was guiding her, you got to get this, and she, she accidentally replaced, she's only little, uh, sugar for salt. Well, you know exactly what happens there, don't you? When you, that cake may look great. That cake looked amazing with the icing, but when I tasted it and she brought it to me with a nice cup of tea, quite right too. And she brought it and I looked at this and I took a bite and I could tell that the consistency was not correct. And I took another goat of tea and I looked at it and I said, That's beautiful, darling. Try again. And, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful that she did it. It tasted dreadful. Why? Because it looked good, but the consistency was wrong. And Paul is saying, you know, as a church in Philippi, don't just look good. Don't get the consistency wrong. Let your words match your actions. You see, it's the way that your neighbours read you. It's the way that people look at you. It's the way that, that, that people engage with you and understand that, that we are something, and I don't know if you realise this, but, but you don't need to carry lots of gospel tracks around with you, however lovely they are, and I've certainly used them. Because one reason that when you're engaging with your neighbourhood and with people around you, you are the gospel track. You are the letter to this world. You and I have to have consistent lives because our life reflects who Jesus Christ is in this way. Lips and lives. N.T. Wright says, a beautiful word, they must not acquire a reputation for being uncivil, brutish or rude. They must be known as honest, reliable, good neighbours. Even if people are accusing or attacking them, they mustn't be intimidated into retreating into a private ghetto where they can ignore the rest of the world and nurture their own faith. Away from it. You see, God has called us not to be brutish, not to be uncivil, not to be rude. He's called us to be a living letter of the gospel that reflects the redemptive nature of Christ, where people can see the honesty, reliability, and the goodness of God at work in our lives. Why? Because the gospel has changed us. Why? Because the gospel has rewritten our lives. The worst thing the church in Canada can do is end up in its own little ghetto and not engage with society. Even though the pressures of society may be and are getting uh, stronger and in some areas very antagonistic against the views of the church. But Paul says, come on John Wayne, come on, this is a moment to, to man up, to stand up, to be consistent and let your lives shine before men and women. Why? Well, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2. If you look at verse um, 27, the first part, Paul is once again mixing his metaphors. You know how he loves his metaphors. The first part of the metaphor is about... Um, is, is, is really a, about politics, actually. I haven't mentioned it yet, but there is the way the words are constructed in that first half of the verse has a political power to it. What do I mean by political? Well, Paul's inference is that we are a political people, and what does that mean in the ancient world? It means we belong to a certain civilization. It was clear as the Christians worshipped in Philippi that they belonged who to? They belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were in a Roman city that belonged to Caesar, that belonged to Rome. And what Paul is saying is here, you act correctly because you are citizens of heaven. And citizenship demands that we act accordingly, in a correct way. You see, nationalities have reputations, don't they? (laughs) If I mention certain countries, we know what they're about and their reputation. English people have a reputation. We are very polite, very reserved, very, uh, as you can tell, Uh, we are... We are supposed to um, be, be very um, quiet and, 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 you know, we, 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 we kind of have this um, kind of Downton Abbey thing going on, which is nonsense. And whereas Americans, <laughs> exactly, and <laughs> you know exactly what I'm thinking, loud, and if you're American here, we love you. And we're watching what's going on very interesting in our, in our, our times at the moment with, the, with, with politics. And they have French, of course. And I've got to be careful because I know we now have some people here who are French Canadians that worship here. I love it. But, but I have to be careful. But, you know, the French are known for oh, great passionate and lovers. The Italians are known for arms, speaking, correct? I must have a bit of Italian in me. And, and, and of course, Canadians are perfect. So, <laughs> there are traits of citizenship that when you say, I am a citizen of this country, um, uh, Scottish people... Um, also, uh, are always uh, are always connecting. They're wonderful. Their hospitality. Irish people love to tell stories, along with those from Newfoundland, and and they love to tell stories and they love to engage. This is a citizenship. What I'm trying to say, this in this, is that the metaphor and the language of Paul in this verse is that you are citizens of heaven. So smarten up and live like you are citizens of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and He is your Lord. That the way you speak, the way that you act, the way that you are, that you're living abroad here. Why? Because you are a colony of heaven, a redeemed people, saved by the power of Christ. We are a different people and we should reflect the politics, the citizenship of the King of kings and the Lord of lords of the kingdom of God. That's what it means. And so, what does, well you know what the politics of the kingdom of god is you just have to read the gospels and look at the person of jesus christ and you'll work out exactly what we should be about we're about love we're about grace we're about kindness You may have come this morning and you may have not understood and had a view of Christianity as perhaps negative, condemning or judgmental. Let me tell you, that is a wrong misconception because the love of Jesus reaches out for the whole of humanity. So he's saying to them, be consistent. Be consistent in this. The second thing he's saying is cooperation. Now, this is where in verse 27b, he starts again to change his thinking, a metaphor that he brings in. He uses this phrase, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's now moved from a political illustration to an athletic illustration. We love sport in this country, don't we? We love it. Hockey, we love, although it's a painful journey. And, and we love, what we love about sport is team sport, And in cooperation, what he's actually talking about is that we cooperate together as a team in our lives. That we work together. Why do we cooperate together? We work together for the sake of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Paul is painting a picture that we are teamed together, that we are active together, that we pull together, that we believe together. And certainly, when you come to the family meeting and you're all invited and you should all come and we talk about the vision of our church, don't be surprised that part of our vision is the continuation of working together to win our valley for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to work together, it's a team sport. It's, it's that moment, and of course, May is the month of team sport in Canada. Every one of us, and we see this in our families, are now all involved in soccer and ball and sports. My own boy is playing uh, soccer, and I call it soccer just to help you with my language. Um, it's soccer, and I watch them. And now they're nine; they're learning to pass the ball, work together. And, and in actually, in, um, in in Josiah's team, there are three families from our church who've got uh, children there, um, um, and uh, an Isaiah, a Malachi, and a Josiah. That tells you something, doesn't it? <laughs> if they don't win the league with the power of God with them, there's something wrong. All of those prophets working together. I mean, Isaiah and um, uh, Harnett, uh, I was at a game who he, he took it from the middle and he got the ball. He was in the middle of the, uh, of the pitch. He flicked it up and he booted it. They went all over the players and straight into to the goal. Whoa, that was great. Um, and I know that the Harnets are away again doing things like that. But, but it, was, it was an amazing moment. And we expect that from Isaiah the prophet, you know, hit that goal. And uh, Malachi and, and Josiah, they've all scored goals. But when they really score a beautiful goal is not when they just volley it on their own or run with it solo. It's when they learn to pass and work together and understand each other because that's how you cooperate and get success. And that's what he's saying about the church and our church. That in the gospel, we cooperate together, we work together. And as we cooperate together and we work together, we will gain success for the gospel. I mean, it's difficult to know what kind of sport. He was kind of perhaps thinking of a... Because Paul loved wrestling. It's probably... Thinking of one commentator said, if you can imagine a team sport of wrestling, and they were wrestling as a team together against opponents, you probably get an idea of what he's talking about. We were all engaged in a battle, but we're all one big wrestling team. But we don't have anything quite like that in in our culture to really connect with it. But interesting, he, he uses the phrase... A prefix, 16 times in Philippians, about with or together. You know how in English language we use co, like co-op, and we prefix co at the front of it? 16 times in Philippians, he prefixes the Greek word sum, S-U-M, which means with or together. And he uses some really English, really good uh, language that kind of uh, explains that he is very concerned that the church continues to prefix a sense of togetherness, that we're in this together, we work it through together, we're a colony of heaven, and we do it for the gospel, we must live and talk correctly, we are living letters, and we do this as one team together for the sake of the gospel. And of course, what he's saying is, you've got to take your stand in this. You have to decide that you're in this team, and you're not going to move, and you're going to take your stand. You see, the truth is that, 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 that what Christ really wants, and I did mention it last night, and then somebody delivered these. This is amazing. I'd like a speedboat, please. Um, just a That we are, we are not marbles in the body of Christ. You see, if I, if I drop some marbles, they're going to run everywhere. But God is calling us to be magnets that when we drop on the floor, we don't run everywhere around, which the Canadian, modern, Western, North American, European church is very good at being marbles, but we have to learn to be magnets. And the power, the, the physical power that draws us together is that magnetic power. And you know, even in our own lives, we can act more like marbles than we do magnets. And Paul is asking his church not to be marbles, he's asking them to be magnets. He's asking them to stick together and be held together by the power and the strength of Christ in this sense of being uh, prefixed. And we need that confidence. Went to London at Christmas and the girls went to the, um, the department stores. They went to Harrods and... Liberty, uh, the famous ones, and of course, salvages, I went and visited, and me and uh, Josiah were not going to do that. So I said to him, "What do you really want to do?" He thought for a moment. He said, "I'd like to go and find those guards with the with the red hats and with all the plumes." And he said, I'd like to go and find them where they have to stand and they can't move. And I'd like to stand in front of them. And I'd like to try and tell them jokes to see if they'll laugh. (laughs) Exactly what he said. (laughs) So we went and we arrived. And as we arrived, we went round to Horse Guards Parade just down from Number 10 Downing Street. And there were all the horse guards standing there like this with their sabers, with their big hats and their red plumes, the household cavalry, walking backwards and forwards, and then they stand, they don't move, they stand in their box, and they stare forward, and everybody takes photographs, and here he arrives, jumps in front of them. It's great. So he attempted a a joke. Knock, knock. It didn't work. (laughs) He jumped around, he pulled faces, but he couldn't move him. The guy just stood there. He knew what he had to do, why he had to do it, and he was not going to be moved, particularly by a nine year old dancing in front of him. Can you be like that? You've got so much dancing in front of you. Will you stand firm for Christ in the gospel? You stand firm in what you believe, the joy of it. And of course, he is talking about a confidence. A confidence that comes to stand. A confidence that is real and and. And in, in verse 28 and 30 says, and not frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. He says, don't be frightened in any way by your opponents. In our world, let's not be frightened but let's be full of joy to proclaim the gospel and the difference that the gospel makes. You see, Paul already knew who the Lord of the world was and is, and that was Jesus Christ. It's just the fact that the rest of humanity need to catch up with the reality that Christ is the Lord. He's the King coming. Lots of people have tried to stamp out Christianity. Whether it's Staling in Russia that wiped out whole generations of Christians and even members of our own congregation have been touched in some way by those terrible moments in history. Whether it's North Korea, whether it is ISIS today where they're killing more Christians in the past year than has been seen in many, many years as they they, they, they chop heads off and they oppose the good news of the gospel and they declare that Christianity needs to be eradicated. But I remember the words of the Bishop of Tehran. When, when there was a great revolution and Christianity was banned in Iran, and they were told that now any form of Christianity would be driven out and not tolerated, and one bishop was murdered for his faith. The, the bishop of Tehran says, You may take us and you may, bat, you may hit us and batter us down, but the church of Christ is like this we are like a nail. And the more you hit us, the deeper we are driven into the fabric of society. There are more people becoming Christians in Iran today and reading the Farsi New Testament on their mobile phones than ever in the history of Iran. God is moving in power. It is all the reports that people are giving their lives to Jesus. And God is moving. You see, the Christianity, the message of salvation and love, that God so loved the world... Let me tell you something. He's saying to us, don't be frightened. Don't be frightened. Have confidence that the gospel is true. Have confidence that it changes lives. Have confidence that God is at work. The phrase frightened is a, uh, a, a linked uh, to a way that they describe uh, about a, a horse, a war horse, that is startled is frightened, rears up, and runs the other way. And what Christ does not want us to be is that we look like a war horse, but when the going gets tough, we rise up, we're startled, and we run the other way. He wants us to hold on to our faith. He wants us to stand. He wants us to know his love and power at work in our lives. Let's stand together at this moment. Just reflect on those three things. How are you consistently moving in your own life? Is there that consistency? Are you a marble or a magnet? Cooperation, digging in, making church work. And are you confident? Are you more like a startled horse in society? The gospel demands of us that we have the joy of the gospel at work in our lives. The joy of the gospel. Lord Jesus, as we stand before you now, we pray that you will give us the courage to move forward. You will give us the strength to believe in the power of the gospel. And Lord, I pray, even for people here that may not know you, I pray that they may find you. And that great gospel truth. May we be living letters for you I ask. And help us to love the gospel. Thank you for the words of the apostle. That encourage us to love our world. And to live within it. In the gospel we ask. Amen.